Mike Glover, welcome to Free Range American. I'm overwhelmed right now. From what? Just the uh, environment, man. I love it. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of wood, a lot of wood, a lot of burnt wood, a lot of pallet wood. It's a fire hazard. In here it is sure. a fire. It's I called like a fire it. trap. Yeah, it's a fire trap. Love it. Thanks for coming down, man. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been forever. I know. So Mike and I go back, I don't know how many years, 10 years? It's been a while. 10 years, yeah. give or take, whatever. We went, we were back 10 years. And when we first met each other, you were going through a course. I was teaching the course. Mm -hmm. uh, you were much taller. Have you shrank? Or a little bit. I, okay, got it. Yeah. Philcraft has made me shrink <laughs> a little bit. No, I, you know, you're one of the guys. It's funny. It's funny because when you came through, I think we hit it off. And I can't remember exactly what we talked about, but we were talking about a few different things. And, um, you know, I, there are certain things that I like, which is tactical competency, mm -hmm. which, uh, as you know, when you're going through a course like that, not everybody is tactically proficient in those yep. circumstances. So Mike is kind of like one, he's a gearhead, which I can appreciate. Uh, but he also was like AJ squared away. Like you had your shit dialed, you could shoot. You could, you know, you could shoot, you could move, you could communicate. And it's funny because uh, when I found out you were a star major, I was like, what? You're a <laughs> because he was also pretty cool. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that because, uh, you know, most sergeant majors are douchebags. They are. Uh, they are. They yeah, are. Yeah, lot. you're right. Yeah. No, and, and, and this isn't just a, I love you, Mike podcast. This is just kind of giving people the context to it. But we started, we kept in contact for quite a while. So when Fieldcraft fired up, like I've been watching you do this for since you started. Like I and I freaking love it. Like I remember talking to you early on. You guys had a TV show or a TV show yep. for a while. What Discovery was that? Channel. What yeah. was that show called? Battle tested. Battle tested. Yeah, it's on their Go channel, their online right. channel now. And the content you guys are putting out, the stuff that you're doing is like, man, this is really fucking cool because Jeff and I were doing some ready man stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was doing black rifle, uh, but you were doing it like in a way that was so exceptional where I was like, fuck, that's, that's the way it needs to be done because you're mixing in some wilderness and some Bible, mm -hmm. some overland, some tactical stuff. And I think that that's an important kind of, uh, pitch to say like, what is Fieldcraft, man? Like, what is this all about? Yeah, since um, you knew me and I was doing the job that we did, um, I, I came up with an idea to prepare people, right, right, American citizens, and it falls into the latter part of our conversation on this podcast. But I didn't want to exclude people based on their political affiliations, ethnicity, backgrounds, experiences, because I think uh, disaster and catastrophe, as we've seen in war is an equal opportunist. It doesn't right. give a shit who you are. Right. It's going to hand you your ass. And if you're not prepared, um, you, you're going to fall by the wayside. And so I, I wanted to teach preparedness to people, normal people, uh, and all the processes that we learned through processes that we took for granted because it was just the foundation that we uh, existed in, um, in planning, mm -hmm. in uh, physical fitness, in 
PCIs, pre-combat inspections, yeah. the basics. Right. And, and that's, to this day, we've evolved as a business, but to this day, our mission statement hasn't changed. What's the mission statement? To prepare everyday citizens um, to be better prepared for the worst case scenario. Got it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because recently we were joking around about it, but you were talking about how you were labeled as a militia. Mm. And can I talk about that? Yeah. Oh, okay. 100%. Uh, how and who decided to to label? Like, how did this come around? Because I obviously follow you on social media and I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you? Like, yeah. <laughs> you of all dudes I know, y- y- this is like the furthest thing away from what I would define what you're trying to accomplish. But then again, I know you. Uh, so how did that what what happened? Yeah, like you, I, uh, dude, I, I am a worldly perspective kind of guy. Right. Like I, I don't buy into uh, radical ideology in the first place. Right. In fact, I've killed a lot of people for their radical ideology. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We've killed a lot of people yeah. because of that. So um, what happened originally was American Contingency was an organization that I stood up to help broaden the message, which is what we do in Philcraft yeah. to be better prepared yep. because I don't care. Like if you want to take a gun and you want to stand in front of a building and protect the community um, and you're a law abiding citizen, I have no problem with that. But what, what I have a problem with is the radical extreme versions of that, right? The fringe. Right. Yes. I don't like fringes on either side right. because I know what fringes one, it's not a prog- progressive scale and it doesn't, it doesn't ever progress and grow or evolve. Right. Um, typically you're at the fringe because you're tying in emotion and it's a failed project in the first place. Right. So when I said, I want to train Americans, mm-hmm. former, you know, contractor, former special operations guy, immediately the left fringe picked up on the narrative and said, immediately we're lumping him in with proud boys. Okay. So originally an article came out where they, these data mining companies that just take slivers of information. I don't, I, I think some of it's machine learned right. and they're just extracting information. They lump it up and they put us in the same sentence as Proud Boys. Wow. Then I had um, a USA Today article wrote and exposed that data mining session. And then uh, everybody started coming after us and whatever, man, I, like I'm just circ- circumnavigating obstacles, but then it became problematic because we got blocked. We got censored, suppressed, right? And it, it got more real because yeah. it was affecting my business. Right. Yeah. Well, and how do you, how do you dig your way out of that scenario? Like what, how do you get the fuck out of it? Like a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of assumptions made in social media anyway. Right. Because that's, you have such a short period of time to capture information in a swipe or a press. And then you made your, you make your mind up. You mm-hmm. want to be conclusive. Not a lot of people dig into things. Right. So the messaging was already out there. Right. Interesting enough, when we were in Montana doing a resilience training exercise uh, for my company, CNN reached out to me. Right. And I talked to a journalist for an hour. What I found out in hindsight and just tying it together and long story short, she was probing us because she wanted to do a 10 minute special on radicals in America. And she had just did a small piece on Proud Boys, except after our hour long conversation, 
uh, in which she said, and I offered her to come down to our training right. center to see everything that we're doing. Um, I think she realized we weren't as extreme as Got it. they thought we were. Right. So we try to get ahead of it, but the reality is what are you getting ahead of? Right. People, comments. So I just said, listen, guys, fire and forget. Let's, yeah. let's move on with our lives. And that's what we did. I, I talked about it for a piece of media and then continued to evolve and grow because like you, I have employees to worry about. Yeah. I mean, you just dealt with this mm -hmm. uh, recently. And, and that's a question too for you because I, I, you know, in the business sense um, where people don't understand the depth of business lives and, and what we work so hard to do, how, how did you handle that? I mean, debatable, it's, uh, you know, I did the best that I could, right? Which is, I think a lot of people, uh, they misunderstand kind of the title of CEO or whatever it might be, um, which is when you're in a PR crisis, right? Fuck, I was carrying a rifle for a living six years ago. I'm, I'm just the dude trying to figure this out. And it's not like I have a PR company on speed dial, right? You're just like, well, people will understand because I think I'm fairly logical. Uh, and I didn't quite understand maybe the landscape as well. Like I, I don't spend time on Twitter, for instance. I don't fucking know what people say on that platform because I'm never there. Uh, you know, I post on Instagram and go on with my life. I just want people to know what we're doing as a company. Um, so I think not understanding the landscape as well as I could have probably would have shaped my response a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is when you have both kind of the, the fringe right, fringe left, and they're both pursuing you uh, where you're like, What's up? I, I'm I'm just trying to roast roast some coffee here, man. I don't know what you guys. I don't know why why you guys are so pissed off. It, you can't give give people any more because all they do is take what you're doing and misrepresent it. Uh, they don't understand that we have you know 430 plus people that work for this company. Of course, I have Democrats and Republicans working for this company. Like for the assumption that people might make that we only hire people from the GOP, one, that's ridiculous. It's, it's not only ridiculous, it might be mentally, you might be mentally handicapped if you yeah, think that. Yeah. 438 fucking people in this company. I don't, I don't look for whether or not they're GOP or libertarians. One, it's illegal. Two, it's unethical. Mm -hmm. Three, I hire on based on, you know, who is the right fit for the job. Um, but it did kind of expose a lot of uh, interesting things about people and the way they think. It's like, if you don't conform to one side of the narrative, if it's on the left or on the right, they're going to do their best to, to inflict damage on your company. And my philosophy on this is the same thing for you, which is or the same thing that you did, which is like, I've got 430 people to take care of. I got to get up every day, got to go to work. I got to do what's best for them and I got to make really good decisions for them. And I have to make really good decisions for our customers, right? Mm -hmm. The outside pieces of those, like outside of who's in my company and who do I give, you know, roast great, great coffee for fuck them. Yeah. I don't care. Like, Oh my gosh. Like, 
you're going to hurt me on Twitter. Dude, I don't even log into Twitter. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I woke up this morning, I, I, uh, put on some Sidka pants. It's not a paid plug for Sidka. You yeah, know, look good by the way. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I saw that twice. Played with my kids, you know, I uh, made a couple phone calls. Like I, I'm not, I'm not crying in my, my, my cereal over this one. It's just like, you guys want to, just as you said, it's like, I am not placating to fringe elements of our society that ultimately I truly believe they are the reason that we can't have a productive conversation Mm -hmm. across the nation about being able to emphasize constitutional values and really push the fiber of America, which I think is being degraded by lunatics ultimately, because when I talk to people, whether they're in the D side or the R side or the I side, most people want the same things we do. We want to raise our kids. We want to be safe. Tom, my neighbor is sitting right here. He owns Alpha Munitions. We had a conversation with our neighbors during Halloween and a couple of those guys were, were, you know, Democrats and we're obviously Republicans or libertarians or whatever we are, we all wanted the same thing. We were all talking about the same stuff. Like, Hey, do you guys have food stores? Do you guys have, you know, the ability to maintain the, the a safe sanctuary for your family? If the grid goes down, if there's a large scale earthquake, we were talking about that for a long period of time. We all agreed uniformly. There wasn't one person it was going, I don't need that. The cops are going to save me or the fire department. Everybody's like, no, we have to have the ability to one, feed ourselves and defend our family. We have mm-hmm. to have those abilities. It's the fringe elements of our, of our country right now that are forcing us to have these intense and I think irrational conversations at the end of the day, because we all want basically the same thing. I don't know. Give me your two cents. I think that's, I mean, that's exactly right. I, I, I feel like, you know, part of the problem is, you know, selfless, uh, plug for social dilemma on Netflix, but it is the social dilemma that we're in, right? Right. When you build the infrastructure on how you are presenting yourself to the world through a, um, icon on a social media app and a description on that social media app, that persona is what you're trying to navigate the world through. Right. And often that's the problem that we're having in communicating because if you're on X team yep, and you know, you can't affiliate with Y team in the social media space, which is the dilemma, you forget that you live a life where you integrate and you socially integrate with human beings at your workplace, at church, uh, everywhere you go. Right. Right. So this this false like ideology that we're living through, for example, the second amendment people, right? Yeah. I'm 2A. Well, I don't know what that means because mostly it means you're living a life through a persona right. where you have a t-shirt, a bumper sticker and an AR right. and you think that validates you in your space. Mm-hmm. The problem is just being a person who represents an ideology but isn't doing anything to actually um, change anything of substance. Right. Like, are you legislating for 2A? Are you uh, educating people Mm -hmm. on 2A? Or are you just shouting and screaming and trying to get attention from people? So you have a whole bunch of attention whores who are navigating the earth around them, trying to increase likes, 
and get thumbs up on right. her comments because they're in their mom's basement mm -hmm. and they have nothing else to do. So the reality is, with all that being said, we have to get up and go to fucking work. We have to feed our families. We have to grind. We have to do things besides live in this world that is our cell phones. Now, the problem up until a couple months ago that I didn't realize, um, the problem is now these things are changing the way that we live our lives mm -hmm. because we are actually compromising our livelihood because a distributor, a retailer, um, a company will shut you down. Oh yeah. We pay Shopify, yeah. PayPal, Facebook, Instagram, mm -hmm. all companies that have literally canceled me because of my moderate ideology. Right. And it, and it drives me bananas that what people don't understand, I, I don't think people have to understand because they're just a lot of a lot of the times these people are, are idiots. Right. But what I don't understand is how this isn't being regulated or how it's not being um, moderated to not grossly affect. If somebody emails a company right now that I work with, and maybe if you're at home and you're a fringe actor, email Stripe and do a complaint. Mm -hmm. Call me a Nazi alt-right white supremacist. I'm Korean, by the way. I'm, yeah. I'm Korean from the waist down. <laughs> um, do that. And I guarantee you, I'll probably get canceled because that's all risk and liability and you're, and you're too scary to potentially work with. Mm -hmm. And that's for me where the rubber meets the road. That's for me where I go, team, how can we change the less legislative process? Who do we have to get in contact with to make sure that this doesn't happen, continue to happen to people like me who are just moderates trying to grow a business and feed my family? Yeah, and I, I that's the thing that I've taken away from a lot of this, which is you're a moderate guy. There's no way I think, well, there's obviously any, anyone can interpret whatever the fuck they want from somebody, but from a guy that's been following you from the very beginning, you're preparing people to ultimately survive uh, a, a life-changing event, regardless of what it is, right? That's something that people need to need to have. So from my perspective, when I see this stuff, I'm like, for you to go out and be able to teach people how to be more reliant on their individual skill sets in order to survive a catastrophe that doesn't burden the system. Why is that something that people are so adamantly opposed to even considering without saying, well, you're a you're a militia? Hey guys, just so everybody understands, when Things go pear-shaped, firearms could be the only thing mm -hmm. that prevents somebody from taking your life. As we know, we know probably more than most people quite understand. And it is one of those things that can you can de-escalate situations with proper training and use of firearms depending on what's happening. I think anytime you introduce a firearm to anything, right, there's a section of the country that ultimately disagrees automatically. They're going to be opposed to it regardless. They're not going to listen. They're not going to uh they're not going to give you the opportunity to even explain yourself because they're blocked off in their own little silo, in their own little echo chamber and they're not going to listen. So part of the problem is these loud fringe minorities that are blocked off out in their little silos. They're not willing 
And more importantly, they're going to compromise the integrity of any individual that doesn't go lockstep with whatever it is that they believe in. And we're seeing it across the fucking internet. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's, it's tragic on so many different levels because as we look at even from veterans hiring perspective, we say, what skills do veterans have, especially from the soft the special operations community and they come back into uh, civilian training or tactical training scenarios. How do we get their experience-based knowledge, their wisdom that they have, and then inject that back into our country in a positive way without being interpreted as, well, you're a fucking militia, which I think is ridiculous. I uh, decided at one point to leave contracting. Right. And when I left the military, I, ha I had just finished my college degree, which took me 15 years to do, nickel and diming it. And I was going to go to the HRT route, right? which is, you know, standard. There's a lot of us uh, with our backgrounds that do stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't think I want to work for the government anymore. Let me apply to a couple of jobs. Mm -hmm. And one of the jobs that I applied to was running the security for all the power plants in the state of Colorado. I love Colorado. I th thought it'd be cool to drive a truck around Colorado and, right. and, and work security. It's, uh, it's something I've been doing my entire life right. and various form, form factors. So I applied and I submitted my resume. I got told at one point that it was down to me and another gentleman. They even asked specifically that the person who applied should have a bachelor's degree in Homeland Security, which mm -hmm. I conveniently had because it was the easiest one to get. So I had more crisis response and security experience than this guy, guaranteed, one, 100%. But I didn't know at the time. So my name's still on the hat and I get told, sorry, you weren't the guy for the job. About a week later, because I was surprised by that. Because yeah. I'm like, man, this resume looks good. Right. A week later, uh, a buddy of mine contacted me and he said, hey, I had a conversation with somebody at the management for that company. It's a major electric company that manages all the power companies or power plants in Colorado. And he said, I wanted to let you know something. And it, it has to do with your job and it has to do with your resume. And he said, on your resume, you gave them your military experience. And part of that experience was I was a sniper. Mm -hmm. I was a sniper. I was a sniper team sergeant, reconnaissance team sergeant. Um, and had all the training that had to do with that job. Right. right. They didn't hire me because they thought I'd be a liability because I was a sniper. Because, you know, I, you know, I'm the potential. Maybe they watched Mark Wahlberg in the right. shooter. Right. And they're like, this dude's heading for the hills. Right. Which I did. Yeah. Um, and I had a long gun too. <laughs> and I used to glass the hill with my neighbors and stuff. <laughs> but I, I, I realized for the first time that not only was my experiences in the military as a veteran non-applicable to civilian life, but I was going to meet obstacles and, and have to proactively navigate these obstacles because I thought I could send it. Yeah. And something was going to pick me up because they're like, dude, this dude has all the leadership, management, right. uh, experience, real world, could build rapport and relationships. But none of that was seen because... They're watching Rambo. Right. Right. They're like, Green Beret comes back from Vietnam and burns down a town. Right. Uh, which he, they deserved it. 
Yeah. Um, well, they so, drew first blood. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they did. They did. Damn. 50 bucks for that. <laughs> I'll use $50. <laughs> um, so in realizing that, and this is what I always encourage people to do that are veterans that have experience, um, start a business. Yeah. Do something that you love. Uh, find a passion that you could evolve and scale. Use the same planning processes and discipline and virtue and value that you found in the military and apply it uh, to building a business and you'll succeed. It will be like Ranger School Part 2. Right. Um, it will be difficult, but that's what you can do. So then it bums me out, you know, fast forwarding to like recently with this circumstance that we both find ourselves in. Right. Because I'm like, I'm not, I don't wake up and I'm not politically identifying with anybody. You know no. why? Because I don't give a fuck. Right. When I served 20 years in the military and as a government contractor, I never cared who was in charge as long as I was killing bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. And under the Obama, I happened to kill more bad guys than I did anywhere else. He was the, he was the best for war. Like yeah. he was like, fucking A, go get him. Like, fuck. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like people don't understand about these things where, you know, you're an apolitical entity at, at the end of the day. Do we have our personal individual beliefs? But most of the guys, even in the team room, as we're discussing politics, there is a group think, obviously, to most of it. Most of us are conservative, I would say, specifically mm -hmm. coming from our backgrounds. The, the, because of, I think, you know, we're, we're, we have a unified kind of identity based on a subculture. And then we have a very specific way of looking at the world. Um, and I, I've actually become uh, more open-minded as I've gotten older and started a business and become exposed to more people. And when I say that, it's like we had a, such a small group of people that we were exposed to in, in a very limited circumstance. And it was always overseas. It was always in a foreign country. It was always on working in and out of fobs or whatever it might be. And uh, I realized this a few, a, a few couple years ago, I would say, is it, I was like, man, I, I've actually been fairly sheltered from the rest of the United States because I went from, you know, SF to the State Department I was working in Africa for a while before I went to the agency. I'd carried a rifle the, the majority of my adult life. And we worked around basically the same people. And I was talking to somebody in my HR department. We were talking, I was like, I've, I've been in basically all male professions my entire adult life. So I have to kind of, you have to help me make sure that I'm being inclusive and including females and making sure that I'm not just kind of reacting in the same way that I've reacted for the majority of my adult life because it's kind of what I'm used to, right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I totally get it. So she understood. She's like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll, I'll help you out. But from a subculture's perspective, because you're pulling in all these other guys to start your company too, right? You're like, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. I'm going to start picking up the phone and calling people. And when we started, it was like just a group of knuckle draggers making dick jokes and roasting coffee. That's basically what it is, right? And it's the team room, jokes, exposed. And then old, when I say that, it's like brought to light and then productized. Like that's mm -hmm. basically yeah. what it was. And the other piece to that was like the training aspect of things. 
I was burnt out with it. Like two and a half years of, you know, working through shooting drills and taking guys through shooting courses and shooting and shooting. And when I say that, it's like, I love to shoot. I still love to shoot. But it's like after being an instructor for that long, as you know, like you get a little bit fucking fried, like cooked. I was like, man, I don't want to be on an, I don't want to be on a range again with a pro timer. I didn't, I don't even know if I did it for a year. When I left, I was like, I don't want to be on a range again with a pro timer for a long time. And now when I go, it's like I put the pro timer on, saddle up. I'm like, oh, that's like an old catcher's mitt. I fucking, I'm way into it, right? But it took me a while. So it's, the, the, the conversation point in that is, as veterans get out and they start to look at how they're going to find their way and they, they start connecting with other veterans. And then part of that too, for us, I think is reaching out to other veterans, even as they're entrepreneurs, you and I know a lot of the same people. And we're always like introducing other people to other people because as a United front, we're way stronger in the ultimate end game of this is like, how do we get the tide to lift all of our fucking boats? That's Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, a lot of a lot of background uh, that people don't know because I don't talk a lot of business on our, our forums is that you've helped me and I appreciate that. You've helped me a lot in business. I mean, we've had hours long conversations about business, how to scale because we're learning to adapt in a completely different environment mm-hmm. as different people. Yeah. And that's, that's really powerful because what people don't get is when you live in the military, it's not a job. It's not a profession. It's a, it is a subculture. Right. And like, like the dick jokes, you come out of the military and you do that in a professional setting in a business <laughs> and you'll get your ass sued. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, you're going to be in and out of HR, like nonstop. Yeah, like it's never, it's never going to end. I have now uh, started to adapt and, and, and learn but again, this is like a different perspective, right? This is that worldly perspective in a different way where I'm a culturalist. I don't even know if that's a word. Just made it up. Sounds tying good. it to ideology. I like it, yeah. I love culture. I love yeah. people. And, and the last thing that I really care about is your political affiliation because I want us to build a relationship, not break our relationship because immediately you identify with a political affiliation and you've written me off. And I, that's the problem that I have with this lack of substance and understanding who you are, right? who I am, the complexities of situation, um, the understanding of culture, the understanding of the love of people. Like we had a conversation about uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Like Tulsi Gabbard's a Democrat. I don't go, I don't look at Tulsi and go, Tulsi, you're on the wrong team. You know why? Because I don't identify as a Republican mm-hmm. most of the time. There are values that I find beneficial uh, as a conservative on the other side. Right. But I like weed. I smoke weed every night. I don't care what people think that are conservatives about me smoking weed because it's better than the shit they prescribe you at VA. For sure. So when I look at Tulsi Gabbard, I look at her as a human being first and foremost. Right. I go, what kind of person is this? Which is part of the problem that, that Trump catches all the shit. Because they, people look at him and go, well, he's just a bad person. He seems like he's a bad person. And they identify and they write him off without getting to know the person. Tulsi Gabbard, veteran, warfighter, officer, a great leader, good person, 
And I would like to see her succeed. And what does that mean? That means maybe she would be a democratically elected president that's more moderate, more balanced, and the person that I could buy into. Right. But we can't have that fucking conversation because you've already written me off because you heard me say I affiliate with Democrats. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what I'm starting to realize is I don't give a fuck what people think. Right. If I did, I would drive myself mad. And, and crazy. And you just, obviously you just experienced that with this well, Tulsi it's, Gabbard. It's, it's, it's hyper detrimental, right? And it's like the Tulsi Gabbard, for instance, you know, uh, you're, this is the best podcast I've ever done because I'm so jacked the fuck <laughs> up on caffeine right now. He's like fucking, ah. This, this coffee's really good, I'm, um, by the way. It'd be hard for anybody from our subculture as veterans and for other people not to even understand kind of what happens for the empathy and identification of who's going through what, right? And as a moderate, I think she's a very moderate uh, Democrat for lack of a better term, but she voted down a, a very important piece of legislation to me, which was, you remember when the VA was saying they were going to move our psychological records in the to the ATF? Yeah. She for voted that shit laws. down. Yeah. Yes, exactly. She yeah. voted that shit down. And when you hold people accountable to the Clinton fucking political war machine when you vote when you downvote great legislation that ultimately I was absolutely not in favor of because it's so subjective that piece of legislation would have been so detrimental to every veteran that was applying for a fucking firearm moving forward it was toxic it was a piece of toxic legislation for veterans we as veterans regardless of whether or not you're on the blue side or on the red side and Guess what? My good friend Zach Eskel is running for the probably the mayor of New York. He's also a Democrat. He's a fucking great guy. He's a former force recon dude. He's been to fucking war. He's a great guy. He's a Democrat. I don't care. Yeah. I know the fiber of the individual. And plus, when you're a single issue voter, this is part of the issue. When you're a single issue voter and all you do is you drive whatever narrative it is on the left or the right, this is what we find puts us on this jersey and that jersey. Your team, my team. The team I'm on is like, for uh, without sounding trite, I'm on Team America. I'm on Team Freedom. Fuck yeah. I'm on Team fucking... Hey, man, when, when we look at the hierarchy of prioritization, it saddens me because... And I don't want to get too emotional because... We owe it to our subculture. Right no, okay, I'm not. Okay. But I'm just trying to think my way through this. It, it, we owe it to our subculture to stand up and go to war here for the guys that I know and you know that are fucked up. That are fucked up. The people that have lost their 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 limbs and their eyes. You know, our friends. I don't want these fucking guys to be written off. I don't want them to be home. And when I, when I think about what's happening today in our society with fucking guys that are double amputees and they're sitting in their fucking living rooms by themselves right now because COVID, because they got to wear a fucking mask and they can't go outside and they can't do anything social. I get so pissed off because it's so detrimental to our community. It's so counter freedom, counter America. And it's not that I don't care about the rest of the Americans, uh, rest of our um, American uh, countrymen. It's how I prioritize my work. 
I'm more concerned with a disenfranchised subgroup of people that have been injured either physically or psychologically where people are writing them off and over-medicating them to basically get them to shut the fuck up and go away so they don't have to be reminded of the failures of their political establishment and how fucked up their politicians are and the dumbass decisions they've made in conjunction with the military-industrial complex. Let's hit the gym right now. Right? Let's fucking go. (laughs) What is my Fitbit reading right now? 195. 195. Here's the... the, um, and, and you'll get this example. Maybe this will highlight um, the ideology that we have um, because you just show, you just demonstrated it to me today. When me and you were working overseas, we work with Muslims, mm-hmm. right? I call them people, but they happen to identify with uh, the religion of Islam. Mm-hmm. There's extreme ideology within the religion that is Islam. Um, and there, there's moderates, yep. right? Peaceful, let's call them peaceful. So when I was in Afghanistan several times over Iraq, multiple times, um, at war, I was shooting extremists in the face because they were the worst of our society. Right. There is no freedom. There is no peace with fringe actors trying to destroy everything that democracy stands, stands for. When I was in Afghanistan, I went there with a false sense of cultural understanding. I was taught to be a Green Beret, like you, uh, through training. I built rapport. I built relationships. I trained host nation auxiliary forces to do more, to do better, to do good in the environment. When I was in Afghanistan... Because I had a false understanding uh, because of some subcultures that I belong to, I thought Muslims were bad. And then I got there and I realized they're not bad. There's some that are extreme. They're actually good because they're willing to fight and die for me. Mm -hmm. I had, when I infilled in Afghanistan, my first rotation, 0405 timeframe, I had 144 Afghans that depended on me as an 18 Bravo uh, uh, Special Forces weapons guy that was in charge of running those guys. My senior wasn't there. I was a young E6, young staff sergeant. And I command and control this entire group of guys. Every single time that we went out, they defended my life and my team's life like we were best friends. And we build relationships. We drunk, you know, we drank chai together. I right. knew their families. They were people that I really, truly believed in as human beings to the point and to the extent that we decided to build a mosque for them. And so we built a mosque in the middle of our fire base, which actually uh, stopped the indirect firing, by the way, of 107 millimeter rockets, which was an added benefit. But we built it hand by hand, piece by piece. We built it next to them. My 18 Charlie was killed in combat, Ben Bittner, uh, all the guys we built it. And then not only did we build it, but we showed them respect by praying in the mosque together with them. Why? Because not a lot of people know this because uh, they're fringe or they don't give a fuck. There's a lot of ties between the Old Testament being in the Quran and even Muslims identifying Jesus as a prophet. There's right. a lot of inner right. sexual, sectionality. So I realized for the first time that it was about people, about culture. I get back 
And then I see all these people, including a tactical company that I worked with at one point, who was professing on Facebook that he hated Muslims. How can Mike support Muslims? Well, because I support people. Right. Uh, Islam is one of the biggest religions of people in the world, including in Asia. 60% of the world is Asia. Right. So when I look at that, I realize that people, they either just don't give a fuck or they're just uneducated. Because not only do I believe in people, but I want to affect people's lives in a positive way. Those 144 Afghans, a platoon of those Afghans fought next to Robert Miller when he posthumously lost his life and earned the Medal of Honor. Right. And they died right, right beside them. Yes. You on this, on this facility have Afghans that you've served with. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. That, you've, that you've worked with in the most dangerous circumstances, austere environments, and now they're Americans working for an American-made company. And we have, again, fringe extremists trying to affect what you've built with the right reasons and the right values in mind. But even if it's not, when I say it's right, it's like shared, for instance, right? Like you and I share a lot of similar values, I think, because when I watch your content, what I've seen, what you've done, I'm like, I agree with Mike. I've, I've listened to your podcast. I know, you know, whether you're talking to Andy or whether you've got somebody else on, like, I'm like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. Like I'm, I'm not marching lockstep. I'm saying we have such a similar background to the way that we've, one, grown up, you know, how old are you? 40. Yeah. So I'm a couple years older, you know, I was uh, the, you know, from the invasion of Iraq to the close down of Iraq in 2009, I think I had four years, give or take on the ground in Iraq. Then I went to Afghanistan after that for multiple years for, I don't know how many, throw in a few rotations into like Botswana and Senegal and a few of these other places and a couple of trips to Asia. My entire adult life in my thirties was spent overseas, all of it. 90% of it was all overseas. I would go back and do a JSET with 19th group or I would go back, come home from Iraq, get on a fucking plane, turn back around and go to the Philippines and do a JSET. And with you and I looking at things in such a similar way or you know, a guy like Andy or Trevor, whomever, right? Whoever was like kicking around this thing. I think there's a lack of fundamental understanding to just how diverse our thought process is because we have worked and we have entrusted our lives into people that look different. They have a different language. Sometimes you don't even speak the fucking language and you're like, okay, hey, shoulder to shoulder, motherfucker, let's get it on. Let's go. Because we have the same agenda at the end of the day, which is if we're trying to secure an area so people can educate their children, feed their families, you know, shared and similar experiences kind of create that same mindset. Like, uh, you know, as we start to roll through this, I was like thinking about it. I was like, oh, you know, should I tell people that I speak French too? Like, I don't know. Is it going to make me like waving a white flag? No, man, I worked in West Africa. I, I speak French. I've, been to Paris multiple times. I can fucking talk to people. I love traveling and experiencing the aspects of the human experience. I have zero interest in 
pigeonholing myself into one ideology that is ultimately going to inhibit growth as an individual, which stifles evolution, by the way. Mm -hmm. And my entire process in this is to become a better man, Mm -hmm. a better leader, a better husband, a better father. I have a zero interest in saying, I'm good. You know, that's one of the things that I am so uh, happy and I think proud of from, uh, and I look back and I have such um, a distinct memory of SF and that this realization, especially when, when you go to like SFAS, for instance, right? And the Special Forces Assessment and Selection, you start looking around at the people to your left and right and who's pulling weight and who isn't pulling weight. It has nothing to do with race. Zero. You only start to value people on their level of work and their level of ethics. That's it. That's how you make your decisions in any preconceived notions. I, I grew up in Idaho in the fucking middle of nowhere and, uh, you know, with a group of family members that worked their fucking asses off in the woods and raised by, you know, basically a single father after the, uh, after the age of nine, you know, I saw my dad get up every day, take his fucking lunchbox, go to work, work in the woods and come home. That experience was completely different than, you know, one of my best friends that grew up in like Chicago in the urban area, like raised by his mom. <laughs> but guess what? When we were under the weight of a pole or carrying a fucking pound, you know, like pails of sand or whatever it is, we're equals. And not only, not only that, we were bound by this experience. And then we have the knowledge to know that the worth of a, of an individual is based on this shared camaraderie of mission accomplishment and knowing that we can't because we can't value people on the exterior portions of what they bring to the table. We have to value them solely on whether we have a shared ethics value system, their work, their effort. It inhibits the growth of a society when we don't Mm -hmm. like it truly does. And I haven't seen the social dilemma. I really need to watch it because everybody keeps telling me that I need to fucking watch it. Uh, And it's one of those things that I've injected directly into the company. We talk about the special operations ethos and people always ask me like, what does that mean? Like, it means that you're judged on the level of work, meaning how hard do you work and how ethical you are in your behavior. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing you're judged on. I don't give a fuck what party you're from. I don't care. I don't ask like... Hey man, you on team this or team that? I don't give a shit. It's like, do you appreciate and love this country? Yes. Great. Well then that's checkbox number one, right? Do you love coffee? Yes. Do you like working in a fucking really cool environment with a bunch of rad people? Yeah. Oh, well dude, you're probably going to fit all right. Or person, you're probably going to fit all right in here. And I think this hyper-partisan conversation in America... One, it's extremely detrimental to a society's growth. Like just in general, I don't know how you dig your way out of that. Like I don't know how people continue to to have these same conversations and these siloed divisions of our country without saying, oh man, I'm going to have to come to the table and maybe think outside of the box just a little bit. You know, like Mike's a good dude. I might want to walk, watch, watch his content and listen to his podcasts before I make a determination that what he's doing is, 
you know, some kind of radical fucking crazy thing. He's just preparing people to be prepared. That's all he's doing. Oh, that's fucking rad. How could you not? In my mind, I'm like, how could you not be behind that? Like my, my wife and I were having this conversation, uh, just a, a few days actually, uh, probably like a week and a half ago. Uh, cause you were going through your payment processor was, was turned off. And I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I was like, this is bullshit. Like I've known this dude forever. Like, what the fuck are they talking about? This is pure insanity that somebody would label you as a militia or what you're doing. And it's to me, I'm like, how is this, how is this possible? Because you put out terabytes of content. Mm -hmm. There's no logical person that could view what you're doing and determine, make that determination, just a fucking, Hey, we're going to throw this against the wall and see if this one sticks. And I think that's part of the problem. People don't want to, they don't want to read past headlines. They don't want to read past 120 characters. They just want to make these preconceived notions. They want to jump to conclusions. They want to fucking get on whatever bus they're going to. And they're going to ultimately, they're going to stifle the growth of a country. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. I think it's called like the, it should be called the parlor effect. Cause I mean, I just, I just made that up, but parlor, like parlor is a great example, right? Parlor is an application that supposedly is supposed to allow you to be whoever you want to be. Right. Except they are very biased against the left. So you won't see that content. Got it. So people are like, oh, you need to get on Parlor. So I downloaded Parlor. I'm like, all right, let's see, what, let's see what's up. I got on the, the application. And then I'm scrolling through and it's all right-wing shit or conservative to right-wing shit. And I'm like, this doesn't interest me. Right. I like chicks in Lululemon yoga pants. Yeah. I like to see hippies doing crazy shit. Like I, I like people from all walks of life. And in the parlor effect, you just segregate yourself more from the reality that we live in, which makes you more divisive and angry at the world around you. Mm-hmm. Cause you're like living in this box and you're, you know, you're fucking spitting on people and shit. And then you come outside of it because you've been, you know, emotionally ramped up by scrolling through fucking everything that is parlor or everything that is uh, your subcategory. And then you come outside and you're like, well, that's not how it really is. And you further, like you said, stifle your growth. And I think that's a detriment to society, but I also think the silent majority, which I would consider me and you the silent majority, which means we don't over-politicize anything because we're too fucking busy working. Yeah. Right? The silent majority is getting off the bench right now and taking care of business and living their fucking life. And the fringe is going to fringe. I mean, when I saw the left fringe and then the right fringe, I was like, isn't this some comical shit on your stuff? Because I'm like, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, (laughs) You can't be, you can't respect constitutional rights and focus on legislation and like guns um, and also be, you know, socially liberal. Right. It, it's just a conglomerate of mess that's driven by social media. The, my best advice, and maybe closing out this, because I'm getting, I'm going to fucking start dry heaving <laughs> over this because it just drives me mad, is people need to get the fuck off their phones. Yeah. You want to you actually do something valuable with your time? Tell your kids you love them. Spend quality time with your spouse when you're in front of them instead of staring at your fucking phone in front of each other. 
Be present in moments. Go hunting, shoot bows. Build relationships by talking to other human beings. Listen to podcasts and their interactions. Read fucking books. Do the things, and, and, and it, just a small plug, this is what we're advocating in 2021 and educating people to get back to. It's called Fieldcraft Frontier. I want to educate people on doing what we've always done, getting back to our fucking roots, which was like 10 years ago right. was our roots. Um, and get the fuck off your phone. Stop being ground into fucking nothing because you're being manipulated by an algorithm that's meant to enrage you because they make more money. Right. And that would be a good start point. I think so. I mean, that's what we've been doing. You know, really, that's that's really been the primary focus and the driver is a couple of years ago, we we really said we need to opt out of any negative conversations because there's too much negativity. We need to be a positive force in the sense of we have to... And what I say is we have to entertain, we have to inform, and we have to inspire. Any content outside of that is a waste of our fucking time. If we are not doing those things in a positive way, where we can go out and make people laugh and have a fucking good time and show that like it is possible for a group of veterans to go out and be successful in today's world can still celebrate, you know, constitutional American values can still be open-minded and evolve. We can do all those things. Uh, but we're just not going to contribute to any negative conversations that, that are happening because there's already enough of that. We don't need to be part of it. We need to be part of the really what, what, what we've tried to definitively focus on is our subculture of veterans out there that are ETSing and getting out and especially the war fighters. Uh, we, we have to set some type of positive example for those, that group of people. Uh, and that's been our primary driving focus on all of this. And when we talk about veterans issues, for instance, you know, veterans, psychological health, physical health, and those same types of things, a big focus has been how do we get back to getting out of our phones and into the field, right? It's like out of your phone, into your field. So, you know, when I picked up um, archery, for instance, a couple of years ago, I started with a traditional bow because I wanted to have just this baseline. It's a string and a fucking stick and another stick, right? It's pretty simple technology that's been around for several thousand years. Why not try to be proficient in this? It, it became an active form of meditation. I'd stuffed coffee bags, basically big burlap sacks together and was shooting in the back shop for a while. And then eventually graduated to the, to the compound bow because I was like, man, I'm... I want to be able to kill something and I really want to be completely uh, self-sufficient in what I do. And I know I can, I know I can shoot. So, you know, part of that is you, I want to learn another skill and start at the bottom because I think that's also fucking really healthy for the mind to kind of learn and relearn a skill. John Dudley helped me incredibly with, with the archery aspect of things. It's become such a, big part of our life. I mean, you saw we've got an archery range back here. We give bows to our employees because it teaches people to get away from their desk. They can go out back. They can shoot their bows. They can shoot it into foam. They can fucking miss. We can have a good time. We can, you know, wager. We can, we can be interactive 
in a way that's not electronic, right? There's no electronic mechanism whatsoever. You're not going to make an app for that? I, I mean, probably. <laughs> sure, there's probably 10, you know, but the benefits of being able to just do what you said, which is disconnect and connect into reality, physical reality, has helped the entire company, I think, get their, get out from behind their desks. And then, you know, when we go out to these events, we go to like total archery challenges every year. We go as like a big company and a big group. Shit, we had 20 plus people at the one here in uh, Utah shooting foam out in the middle of the mountains, you know, and my wife's there. Like we're, you know, the people from the company there. Like it's so good. We have to do that. It's so much fun. Yeah. And that's part of, uh, that's, that's part of building a company and an ecosystem around how do we inspire and encourage people to kind of get out, do really cool shit, uh, get off their electronic devices. So when we're talking about the field, we did multiple hunting trips this year, multiple fishing trips this year, sending people out on fucking rafting trips, just get them the fuck out. And it's been a really good, uh, for 2020 has been, it's been good and bad, right? Like there's been a lot of bad in 2020, and we don't need to bring any more bad, right? We, like It's like people are dealing with enough shit as it is where they're laid off from their positions or they're you know having a hard time getting into the VA because they've shut down all appointments outside of COVID or whatever it might be. We have to encourage people to kind of get out, be self-sufficient. That's why with your message and what you're doing, you're bringing that same mentality to a really wide group of people and encouraging those behaviors to, I think, a more civilian, right? In a broader audience, which to me, that's, that's why aren't more people going, fuck yeah, man, that's awesome. But instead they're, they're like, oh man, we got to shut down Mike. We got to turn his fucking payment processor off. Like, holy shit. You know, he's doing something completely unorthodox. We got to, we got to figure out a way to like really do something negative. I'm like, man, if we could try to just figure out how to do some more positive, which sounds cliche to a certain degree, but it's already detrimental, right? And we were talking about it earlier where, you know, the ecosystem here is completely changed because of COVID. I've had to send people home and they've got to work from home. We don't have, you know, the diverse conversations that we could have through the hallways and walk through the halls and smoke and joke and, you know, interact in a social ecosystem together in the way that the company was actually built that's already been kind of taken away from us because of, you know, fear of COVID or city or state or federal mandates, whatever those are. So there's layers of different mandates as to what's healthy, what isn't healthy. There's all this different misinformation or information out there. It's like, you already changed the, the, the ecosystem based on what's happening. So how do we continue to drive in at least a positive force and that's been my primary focus. Like for 2021, for me, like I'm I'm ready to flush the negative completely, just so I can flush it down the toilet and be like, hey, we got we got a big year ahead of us or years ahead of us in business. And there's just too much to focus on that creates value in people's lives than to focus on the negative shit that ultimately doesn't create any value other than more negative shit. Yeah, shit floats and uh, all these things that are happening, 
the great thing about them is they're easily identifiable. Right. And the way we roll is adapting through adversity and, and changing and evolving. And I think that's the, I think that's the home run for our mindsets. Uh, because I've seen a lot of people either destroy their own lives or get their lives destroyed um, because they're not thinking about evolving and moving forward. And, you know, look, like you guys make coffee and you make coffee a fun thing. Uh, you know, like all I do is see people who drink Starbucks and they look depressed. Like uh, my personal assistant, Chanel, brought me a Starbucks this morning when I got out of the vehicle. Right. She's like, here's your coffee. And I smacked it out of her hands. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, turned to my video. I was you get that on camera? Uh, don't ever bring that here. Um, but man, I, you know, I'm proud of what you're doing. Um, I'm thankful for, uh, your friendship and all the things that you've done for the veteran community. Um, I, I actually see you as a, uh, a significant leader in this space. You've done so much good. Um, it hurts me to see that kind of toxicity affect you personally and, and your company personally. Um, but I know you'll, you'll overcome it. Um, cause we got too much good work to do in 2021 and subsequent years. Yeah. I think my, my, my mindset right now, like yours is preparing my company to scale and grow to hire more veterans like our circumstances who are coming out of war after a decade plus of war yeah. and who are going to be fucked up, who are looking for purpose, who are looking for not just a job. They don't want a fucking job. They won't live and last in a job. No. They want a mission. Mm -hmm. um, and that mission has to have a, uh, a virtue doing good in people's lives. And that's what Black Rifle Coffee is. That's what I see as uh, Phil Craft Survival and other good veteran-owned companies that are doing this um, and we just have to wade our way through the bullshit. Yeah. And there's so many, like that, that's the great thing about this is like, you don't have to go very far to see how many fucking vets are doing incredible things right now. You really don't, you don't have to, you don't have to go too far on the internet to figure out like, oh, wow, these guys are actually doing some really inspirational, really cool shit. And there's, there's this single point focus, this mission mindset that I think a lot of us, you know, by default or just by the personality that we have, meaning like, for me, I've never really seen myself as a leader in the veteran community. I've never really seen that. I've never necessarily kind of sought that out as something that I've necessarily wanted. I just wanted, you know, ultimately a couple of years ago, like I was saying, um, you know, we had the opportunity to, to really double down on where we wanted to make the greatest amount of impact and the greatest amount of impact that we felt we could do the, the, the greatest amount of good was with the veteran community. Like we, we have these conversations daily, if, if not every other day as to, you know, how do we plug in and create a big difference in people's lives and, we have to continue to go forward and ultimately we owe it to our entire community to kind of say, well, if, if we're picking up this, then we're going to pick it up and we're going to run with it. And Matt and I were having that conversation this morning, literally this morning. We're like, Hey, we've got too much really good shit that we have to do in the next several years. 
uh, that we can't really focus on any of this negative because ultimately it's just white noise and it's a distraction to what we can really do. Uh, and it's, it's not a laundry list of accomplishments, right? It's not like tick, tick, tick. It's like, we're going to keep mission focused. We're going to keep doing what we do. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, uh, if they look at what we do, it's not necessarily the individual actions, but it's a more holistic look at what we're trying to accomplish for the overall community. And being part of that, I think, is all of us, right? So whether that's like Neil Curry down at, you know, Ready Gunner, you or me, or, you know, half the guys that we know in in the 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 military entrepreneur space. I was talking to um, my buddy that owns Softleaf the other day and we were talking about, you know, what we're doing. And it's, it's a primary conversation for all of us to, to say, what are we doing for veterans? What are we doing for mental health? What are we doing here? Because I, I found this uh, piece of technology. Somebody had turned us on to it as far as like, uh, as a, like a brainwave Sinking device, which honestly I don't really know how to describe it. They they put magnets on like a halo, and they're trying to fix some brainwave inaccuracies with people in order to help with PTSD. But those are the conversations that we're having because we're so acutely aware of what's happening within our community. I I don't want there to be a, a, a minute or 10 minutes or whatever it might be wasted on thinking of something other than how do we make a great product and how do we give back to the community? Because that will influence multiple other people to do the same thing. And there's nobody better to do that than the people that have served in these wars. And I think if we don't take an active participation in this conversation today about how we start to fix and ultimately repair some of the damage that has been done in Iraq and Afghanistan to our greatest resource, which are the soldiers that have been putting themselves in harm's way, nobody else is going to do it. Nobody. It's us. Like, what is that that saying? It's like, uh, if not who, me or something like mm-hmm. that, right? It's like, yeah, who, if you're if asking... Not who will go sit or like, Send me. Send me. Yeah. And I think that that all of us can kind of unite around that message and go, okay, well, how do we fucking support and encourage this development of one another? And I was talking to, um, you know, guys like Dan, for instance, Dan Crenshaw, that he, we don't agree a hundred percent of everything that he, he, he does in, in Congress, but we do agree on a huge percentage of what, he's trying to accomplish. And ultimately we do agree on the fiber of our country and what's important. And especially when it comes to a veteran community or conservatives or Democrats or whomever it is, we agree as to where we should focus our energy and what's really fucking important. The rest of this stuff is just like, okay, man, that's white noise. Let's move on with our life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and two, we're having fun doing it. Like we went down there and filmed a podcast or uh, not a podcast, a commercial for those guys. Uh, and it's, it's really just, there's just so much fucking really cool shit going on with this community and people that are doing like epic and rad things. It's really, um, it's, it's really 
enlightening, I think, for a guy like for me anyway, to kind of poke my head out a little bit and be like, oh, so this is what the conversation's all about. Man, mm-hmm. what you guys in your social media is, you guys are like, whoa, <laughs> this, yeah. is, this is a crazy conversation. Uh, I'm just going to focus on fucking my company and, and ultimately trying to keep fucking my head down and make something positive. Uh, I'm really not letting it beat me up too bad. I mean, uh, there are things that obviously are beyond our control, but it's beyond my control. It's like trying to, it's like trying to shovel the tide. It's never going to work. Just keep walking. That's all we could do. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm too busy living life. So to deal with toxic bullshit, I, you know, I, I think you should, and I'm just putting this ball in your court. I'm putting my balls in your court. Yeah. Put those in there. Um, I think we should do an entrepreneur, a veteran entrepreneur, call it seminar. Yeah. And we should bring, Tim Kennedy reached out to me and said, hey, I got this idea. So it's Tim's idea, but just piggybacking off of that idea and actually getting it done. I mean, it would be a good, Salt Lake City is a good place to host yeah. it. This place is a good place to host it. But having all the major CEOs of companies that kind of represent um, the, the ideology and, and doing good for right. not only um, veterans, but business and people. Right. Um, and have the talking heads communicate like a key leader engagement would be like a crosstalk. Yeah. Would be super beneficial for the way we evolve as businesses. Because I, I mean, I, I, I often think about the personal conversations that we had about business and scale where I'm learning from your mistakes. And then I would tell people those same mistakes that I learned and and tell them about what I learned from you in conversations for their businesses. Right. There is no apparatus or thing that helps us navigate that. It's not like a field manual for business. Right. We're just figuring the shit out unconventionally and making it our own doctrine. Um, and that's so important because, you know, as, as we all grow in, uh, as we all scale, I look at all these um, veteran owned businesses or businesses period that support the veteran advocacy piece that we're creating homes for a lot of people who are lost. And, and I was lost as fuck. I mean, transitioning out of the military into even to government contract work, which is similar to what we did yeah. in the military um, was a temporary shelter, but I was truly lost because I didn't have a purpose and I didn't have a lot of the things that um, I self-identified and, you know, it it was an umbilical cord that was created. And once that was cut, I was flapping in the wind. So, you know, whatever that looks like, I think you should be the guy to run it um, because of all the experiences that you've learned. Uh, Maybe maybe host it, uh, but I think that'd be beneficial for, for everything we're talking about. Yeah, we no pressure. No, we've thought about that a lot. Where uh, you know, Matt and I talked about that last year. Jared, myself, Matt, we talked about that a lot. We we're like, okay, where are we going to host something like this? Because we've had similar conversations, I would imagine, with guys like Tim. Where how do we do a lessons learned type of mm-hmm. scenario where we can all come together? talk about all the fucking mistakes where it's like, it's impossible for us not to make mistakes in this because people that have been doing, you know, business for a lot longer than we have that have been formally trained in, you know, Stanford or some of these other institutions in business, Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, they're, they're making mistakes. So, you know, a couple of guys, for instance, that were carrying, you know, rifles for a living six years ago, of course, there are going to be a fucking litany of things that we could have done better or reacted to differently. That, uh, that lessons learned piece of being able to share information and then pull that information out. Uh, Jocko, excuse me, uh, you know, Jocko is a great example of that where, you know, he puts these seminars on mm-hmm. all the time for corporate America. So he has a different aspect and a different position on that too, because he speaks to a lot of different corporations out there. So he has a lot, he has a diverse pool of information from all the corporations and heads of corporations that he's talked to. He's good friends with my business partner uh, that, you know, has been really helpful to me uh, specifically in the last couple of years. So like Jocko was hired by him initially to do some leadership development for one of his companies, you know, then Jocko and I knew each other and we all kind of got together and we're like, well, wow, how, how can we help the entire community? And we've been talking about this, I think in different aspects, whether it's like you and Tim or me and Tim or me and Jared or whomever it is, we could do something. And I think we could literally put it on the calendar for 2021 and go, fuck yeah, let's do it. You know, send out the invites, figure it out. And then it would be a pretty epic lineup of people Mm -hmm. that have made laundry lists of fucking mistakes. And ultimately everybody could go, oh, wow, I don't want to do that. That's a landmine I don't want to hit. That's a landmine I don't want to hit. And trust me, there's been a few of them, right? There's been lots of different landmines in the last few years out here where, you know, somebody told me a few years ago, they're like the, uh, the, the battlefield of business is littered with failed, failed, you know, failed LLCs, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it's just, if you look across the landscape, there are very few that actually continue to succeed. However, statistically, veterans are something like five times uh, more likely to succeed in business than a person that doesn't have the same or military experience. Mm. And huge. so the statistics are out there too, where veteran entrepreneurship can be encouraged through the veteran community. And ultimately, I think we can go out and talk to people, give them lessons learned, and they can learn from all of our dumbass decisions that we've made. And the good, I think, would be a force multiplying effect down the road because guys starting businesses and then they hire veterans mm-hmm. and then they hire veterans, and they start businesses. It just continues, I think, to grow out. Uh, that would be an easy one. Like we should absolutely just put that on the calendar and be like, Fuck. Well, we saw the failure of inner communication and operability um, in the agencies and the government institutions we work for. Yeah. I mean, you have, you're sitting next to a guy who's planning a similar op in the same AO area of operation that doesn't even understand that it's going to compromise his operation because you haven't just spoken to him and he's right next door to you. Yep. Right. So we're becoming more sheltered because we want to protect what's ours. But every time I've seen a share of information, um, uh, special missions units and certain parts of the use of soccer are very good at it and doing cross talks and, and cross briefs. Um, it would be hugely bit of, I mean, you could write a book on it, right? right. Like you could do a business book on it just from the notes of each speaker who talked about their lessons learned. And look, I'm as a CEO of a company, like if, like when we talked a year ago, even two years ago, when I would call myself a CEO, I'm like, yeah, I, 
Yeah. I, I don't, I'm a, it's me and a dude yeah. and a chick. That's same. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing the marketing with a phone turned around and then I'm packing the box from the marketing that is sold. But now I feel like a CEO and now the, my world has opened up and I'm like, man, I have people's lives, families, responsibilities that are, are broadening and scaling. And I don't have a school, an academic, uh, academic understanding and we're in the trenches. Yeah. Um, I think that would, that would super benefit the community. Um, but also me individually, us individually, I just want to, I want to pick apart people's brains and understanding of how they scaled or grew their business. I mean, having Jocko, Tim, uh, all these influential guys, you know, where do parallel. you see, where do you see Fieldcraft going? Like wh- where, can you talk about that? Can you see like, we'll be selling yoga pants next year. <laughs> um, Probably. So it, here's what I've decided to do and it. And, this is coming from a business meet that I had for a week uh, recently on course of action development, figuring things out. Because right. we we are now, na- I'm navigating a world now that is hell bent on destroying my business. Right. Right. Um, that that started primarily with Shopify, where right. I've funneled millions of dollars to Shopify uh, of customers' money, and then we pay through Chase that decided my merchant service. Um, they don't support businesses like mine with right. no explanation, right? Froze seventy thousand dollars in just uh, a, a couple of days sales, and just said well, you're not getting your money back for seventy days or sixty days. So the problem that I have is I'm associated with guns, but I don't have a gun company, right? right? We don't do gun sales. We do firearms training for self defense preparedness training. So I'm lining out this Philcraft frontier to focus on not the reactive measures to preparedness, meaning the gunfight, right. the the trauma, but focus on the lifestyle that is preparedness. Right. If you want to be prepared, you can, hobbyists aren't prepared. Right. If you bring a range bag and your gun to a range and you, you shoot in a cubicle environment in your indoor local range and you're not doing other things, that's like one one hundredth thousandth of the problem, right? then you're not really prepared. How are you going to be prepared? By looking at, I guess, ancestrally, the things that we've always done. Um, self-sustained, because we are self-reliant. Uh, canning food, jarring food, water procurement, uh, primitive survival, uh, basic med in-house. You know, if, if most people had a traumatic injury anywhere without first response, they would die. Correct. Right. Um, not only, not only that, but if people didn't even have the understanding of how to take care of themselves through hygiene, they would die. I mean, I got cellulitis in Rainer school from taking a knee on the ground. Right. I'm like, what do you mean? I might get kicked out of Rainer school because my knee is, I have an infection in my knee. Yeah. You've been taking a knee over and over again, just exposed to the environment. And that's how it works. Like, oh shit, all these things we've lost. Um, we're going to have an educational role in that. We're going to teach people to do things uh, they should understand and know how to do. And it's going to be vertical, meaning it's not going to be assimilated with tactical anything. And it's going to provide the resource, education, training, um, and make survival and not preparedness, but reliance fun. Yeah. Um, look, I, I love my company and I love 
the positive effect on people's lives where we get the emails and the messages of like, man, I, I never thought about this and I implemented this and, and it helped change my life or helped save my life. I want to broaden my message, but I can't do that when I'm being stagnated in reach and growth and engagement because you ban me off your platform from affecting people's lives. So again, we'll circumnavigate it right. and we'll figure out a way. And that's, that's what we're doing in 2021. Are you guys going to publish a, a series of books or oh, manuals? Man, yes. Yeah. I started a publishing company for okay. Philcraft. And uh, Kevin Estella, who I just hired, he wrote um, his first book years ago. And it was one of the first books in primitive survival that I respected because it was a modern take. Right. It applied to me. It wasn't like, hey, here's a way to start a friction fire. Dude, I have big lighters. Right. There's, there's 10 contingencies that I'm worried about before I start rubbing sticks together right. to start a fire. We hired him full-time. Um, he is going to write his next book through us. Nice. Uh, we will have a quarterly journal next year called Prepped that will be every quarterly, um, every quarter released about things in modern survival from everyday carry, trauma, primitive, everything that we're doing. And then um, we're even going to do kids' books. Uh, what I've realized in the book space, uh, I, I like the fact that Jocko started his own pu yeah. publishing company, right? Because why should I wait on a publishing company that may or may not publish me because of politics? Right. I'll do it direct to consumer and crush the numbers and affect people's lives in an analog way. I mean, I'm all about an analog experience. I think that's primarily what draws people to Philcraft because they want to get in the woods. Mm-hmm. They want to smell leather and fire. Um, that's what we're going to bring back in that analog experience, coffee table books, all, all that stuff, um, because I think it's so important. And again, it gets us back. I tell people, if you, if, if you could do one thing right now to set yourself up uh, for long-term survival and sustaining your reliance, it's starting a library. It's a referenceable library when technology fails that is the survival books. You know, I look at the mycelium running. I have that same book because right. it, it teaches you how to do things with mushrooms. It teaches you how they grow. Um, all these things are beneficial to, to uh, primitive survival. And I, I'm, ex that, I'm most excited about that because I love the tangible experience that we've lost so much. I mean, the books behind you, um, I want to always live in that environment. I always want to have those on the shelf because when this is driving me mad, I could sit down and pick any one of those books and go back to a, a, a simple state where my brain's that cluttered with bullshit. Right. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's an important thing that people have to kind of reconnect with those things like the simple fucking turn of a page, the crack of a fire. Uh, and those are the things I, I really do. I love those things, right? So, you know, we have a coffee company, but it's like I spend... All of my free time, typically, that's outside of like, the family and in, in our house, we're in the mountains. We're in the mountains. I took my kids, my wife, and everybody. We went up to northern Idaho for three weeks this summer, and we were, you know, living out of the camper. Just I was fly fishing. Kids were playing on the beach. You know, making a fire every night, cooking over a fire. No cell phones. No electronics. Just back to being a family in that environment. And the things I love about this, especially when you're adding the skill sets to that, where you can go out and do something 
interesting and fun and learn a new skill and flip the pages of a book and go, oh, this is cool. Let me try this. Uh, those are the kind of things I get super fired up about, especially with my kids. Like I was teaching them how to make fire or this summer and I was teaching them, you know, how to shave off pieces of uh, wood and create a little bird's nest and then work with uh, uh, magnesium scrapers and things like that. And then kind of work through that whole scenario and like a three-year-old and a six-year-old there, you can see their, their, their minds are alive with what's happening because it's one, it's so primitive to it's So uh, it, it, it heightens all of your senses inside of that. So I, I couldn't agree with you more like the children's aspect of that and teaching our kids how to connect with these things is so important. Uh, and we, I find it across the conversations that I'm having with multiple different people, whether they're a physician, you know, in an ER, they're wanting the same kind of things, right? So it's like you and I come from these totally different backgrounds from maybe an ER trauma doc or, you know, somebody that's working behind a desk at, you know, uh, a bank and they're like, man, I really want to get my kids back out there into the field. The cool things I, I like to think about, which I'll, I'll, I'll challenge you with this, right? Is what I would love to see is the instructor's manual for your kids, like connecting those primitive skills. And then how do you interact with your kids and build out these challenges to, to really kind of activate your children's minds in a way that's like, these are primitive skills. These are going to help you down the road. These are going to become really important to your self-confidence, to your reliability, to all of the things that I think plug in directly to making great children. The book that I want, like that's the book I want you to write if, if, you, if you can, is that kid's training manual out there for you know guys like me that are like, man... Yeah, can I build a fire fucking 20 different ways? Sure. But how do I make it fun for my kids? One of the things that we were doing, for instance, uh, a few years ago is I was making making fire with them with uh, a nine volt battery and uh, you know, steel wool, right? Steel wool. So you taking those Sears school challenges, taking the kids out into the garage, showing them how the batteries work, getting them kind of invested and interested in what's going on. And they're like, they're fucking totally engrossed in this stuff. Mm. And I've been thinking about this for years where I'm like, man, if the kids, if I could make that connection, another layer of connection to figuring out how to build in children's uh, challenges in a way that's like not just really high up, you know, 20, 30 year old dude stuff, but like bringing it down and then adding that, that would be so valuable to me as a, just an individual. So that's why I was like, man, that's the book that I want you to write, man. I, we, so, uh, we just hired a girl by the name of Amber who is going to lead family preparedness for full cross survival in 2021. She's a stay at home mom, mother of three. Um, homeschools, homesteads on a farm and teaches her kids preparedness. I did a podcast with her and I did a, um, an EDC demonstration of her kids EDC backpack. And like one, I can't teach you how to prepare your child, but this mom can, right? Because she's so effective in living what she lives, right? She, like she pulled out a card 
And the card had, it would be the equivalent of what's called a blood shit yeah. that me and you would carry, right. which is C-H-I-T, uh, which uh, historically most wars, uh, most modern wars, uh, soldiers on, on both sides in some form factor have carried, which allows you to communicate through a language barrier, um, through circumstance. And she had all of the data, which said basically, hey, if I'm lost, my name is, my contact information is. And I looked at that, I'm like, why, I mean, why have I never thought about something like this for a kid? Right. And, and so it, it's so important. Family preparedness is, you know, I scaled my company and scaled it to where it's at now because tactical training was lucrative. Right. We've capped because I'm not going to increase volume of staff and dilute the quality on the range, right. uh, increasing my liability. But what I will do now at the scale in which we're operating is dive into the things that what really preparedness is. It's not the one second draw off your appendix carry. It's how do you take care of your kids in the worst case scenario? How do you train your kids when you're talking about fire safety in a house? It's conditioned learning. It's not cognitive processes. It's pro words and getting them to execute through action and then having the ability to cognitively process information as they grow through the steps. It's, it's, it's training, it's rehearsal, it's mentorship, it's leadership, it's love, it's nurturing. All those things are so important. And, and I'll do that. that. I already see it. Right. It, it's the step-by-step -step guide on specific preparedness challenges and how you... What's the packing list? You need these things. What's the challenge? It's making a primitive fire. What is the breakout? It's step one, step two, step five. And we'll do that. That's so important. hundred percent. I'm even going to use you and your kids as the models. <laughs> if you give me a day off. Yeah. Fuck yeah. To, to, to illustrate that. I, I think that would be super cool, man. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's the majority of what I do now is all geared around how is this going to affect my children and how they interact with their environment? How are they going to, you know, grow up and what world they're going to grow up? How do I teach and mentor, you know, leadership? You know, this is one thing that I emphasize in my house all the time with my six-year-old. When you're doing something, your little sister, she looks at you. So you're mm -hmm. leading. So one of the things that I'm I'm really fucking proud of and I kind of really, really enforce in the house is your actions affect your little sister. So you're a leader. Do you act like you act like a leader? I'm having that conversation on probably an every other day occurrence with my daughter about how her actions affect the people around her and how she becomes a better leader. And it's one of those things I see within our society that they're really, I, I don't think there are a lot of parents out there that are reinforcing leadership as a skill because it can be a developed skill. And the earlier we can plug into that, the earlier we can plug in to the child psychology as far as being able to give them autonomy to a certain degree, but then also reinforce the things that we know are important that we've seen have worked save lives of the people around us. I think that's a lost art. And I really do think that that's a challenge that I, that the veteran community can pick up and say, guys, we got this one. We can, we can write books. We can put information out. We can talk to, you know, the, 
our country as a whole and say, how do you teach leadership? There's really not a lot of places that are teaching leadership anymore. It's management. It's not leadership. And leadership is still being taught in the military. I think it's one of the last places that's being taught. Uh, And it's one of the most devalued skills in today's workplace as far as being able to emphasize and then hire for people's leadership skill. Mm. And that's why I get super fired up, man, when Tim was talking about starting his school, for instance, right? So he was talking about doing his his school. I was like, that's so fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so fucking cool, man, because a guy like Tim that's always injecting positivity, he's always like fired up and ready to fucking go. And he's like teaching preparedness and comms and flying Mm -hmm. helicopters and doing all this really cool shit. So motivating. And then now he's going to translate that to kids. I'm like, oh, fuck. Thank God. Like, that's what I want to see from so many of us is like, as we get older, how do we transfer this stuff down? How do we keep doing this? Um, oh man. Anyway, I, sorry, I got off of my fucking child thing. I, I probably shouldn't be like railing on like, Hey, child education. No, it's super important, man. It's like, the future, man. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're the, the biggest, uh, I think the biggest line you could draw in data, in case studies, in research, is the line by somebody who in life and society will fail and their upbringing with a male role model in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a lot of statistics, a lot of data out there that prove that, you know, if you have the right circumstance and setup, and you're taught to be a good human being in a lot of ways is going to determine your output, your fate in life. And I've seen so many people, I mean, the army is really good at it, right? Yep. The Navy is not like the army in this way, where in the infantry and in combat arms, when you grow up as a, you know, I only did, only did four years in the infantry, but as an E1, I was put into a leadership role as a squad leader in basic training because I showed some aptitude in leadership, got promoted uh, to E2. Right. right. E1, there is no rank. It's just like right. a blank rank. Um, I got promoted to E2. And then, you know, I went all these leadership schools and I won leadership awards uh, as an E5, as an E6, and as E7. Um, and through that, I realized that leadership was the one thing that you have complete control of. Right. And... Like I remember, and this is a small digression, but I remember specifically in PLDC, which used to be, uh, which is now WLC. Got when it. we went, it was primary leadership development course. And I went to Fort Knox, which is a, a big mixing pool of infantry, 19 Delta, Calf Scouts, support, admin. And I've never, in the infantry, I'd never been immersed with other people besides combat arms, besides right. uh, grunts. And we had females there, white black, Hispanic females. And I was like, whoa, this is going to be a leadership challenge. Yeah. And I remember the challenge and, and like taking it head on. And one of the issues that we're having from one of the PLs, um, the platoon leaders was the women weren't getting things addressed that they needed. And I said, what, what's the problem here? You guys are like all bent on a shape. What's the issue? And they said all these things. And I said, okay, number one, your number one issue, the light in this room is jacked up, right? Yes. Let's go fix it right now. 
Like right now, physically follow me and let's do it. Like right now, like right now. Two, United River, two, three, we go down the list. I fix five of their 10 problems immediately by just taking action. Right. And through these experiences, I'm realizing that leadership uh, is, a, is a thing in itself. When I grew up uh, with a military dad who was in the army, he was very humble, passive, and kind. I learned my empathy, empathy for my father. My, he was not a disciplinary. My mom, who is schooled in some martial arts, is uh, my mom once threw a fork at me and it, it stuck in the wall next to me <laughs> in the drywall. Right. And I was like, I pulled it out. was like, okay, now whatever I was doing bad, I'm going to be good. She was the disciplinary. So I got this weird mesh of these two different worlds, which made me who I, who I am. But it was instilled in me to be confident in football and in growing up as a boy. And I took on these things that were these traits. What I've realized after a, a reflection of a military career in hindsight is the military built this leadership characteristic in me that I can't see and identify in the outside world that's civilian space. I walk around and navigate businesses and people and everything that we're doing. And I'm like, my confidence is perceived in, in some instances as arrogance yeah. and, and anger um, and ego. And I'm like, fuck, like, where are we, where are we learning this? If we're not learning it in churches, if we're not learning it in communities, if we're not learning it in our families, where the fuck are we learning this? And that's so important that not only is men uh, and women who have been leaders in the military to teach our children, but to come up with creative ways to spread that love in podcast and in information and in books, whatever it may be, because you're right. We're our, our world from the inside, uh, inside out at the base level and foundation is, is falling apart because our children are being raised as pansies, yeah, as panderers. Um, when, when kids are self, and this is a different rabbit hole. I don't, we probably don't need to go down this road, but it super offends me. When kids are given the option to be whatever sex they identify with as a child, where we're sexualizing kids, right? I, I wanted to be He-Man, a fucking koala bear, uh, uh, an astronaut, some weird shit. I can't even say on this po right. podcast I wanted to be. And we're telling kids that it's okay for them to self-identify sexually as a transgender, for example, there's a fucking problem with us. We, we have some issues. There's so much emphasis on that. Whereas like, well, yeah. maybe we should encourage uh, leadership and accountability outside of, you know, identifying over what organs we have, right? So that's the thing I'm, I'm like super confused as to why there's so much emphasis on a the sex organ specifically. And like, what is wrong with a society where there's too much emphasis on what organ you're using to procreate versus what organ you're using to make decisions, right? So there's too much emphasis on a reactive, more uh, primitive portion of our body versus the thing that clearly differentiates us from the rest of the animals in our in our world, it clearly differentiates us, right? We make fire, we fucking built the wheel. This is the thing that ultimately decides who we are, uh, not who we decide to procreate with. Yeah, and that's a super confusing conversation to me, and in, in our modern society as well, because I'm like, 
you guys are fucking weird. <laughs> like yeah. just bottom line, you're fucking yeah. weird. Like what is wrong with you? Like encourage growth and development of the mind and not, you know, if we let our children just decide, for instance, if I just let my kids decide what they were going to eat every day, you know, six years old, they would eat nothing but fucking ice cream every day. So how are they going to have the cognitive ability to dis- differentiate to what they are when they can't differentiate between what tastes good and what's healthy, mm-hmm. right? They, they won't. They won't be able to make that decision. That's what good parenting is all about. Uh, so it does, it, it frustrates me. And, and ultimately I just kind of tune out of that conversation because it's just boring. And it ultimately it's, it, there's a lack of intellectual curiosity, the entire thing. And then it's an over articulation from one portion of our society to kind of emphasize this, which ultimately is just a waste of fucking time. Yeah, It's just a waste of time and a waste of airways. It's like, let's try to develop and encourage brain development, leadership and accountability, not what you're going to be and what you want to procreate with. Like that's going back. That's a regression in my mind as yep. far as us as, as a human species, not an evolution and circumstance going, how do, we, how do we define the next challenges of the next generation and then solve those problems as a society? You know, regardless of whether or not we like it or not, we might have to get off this fucking rock that's mm-hmm. spinning around in space. Mm-hmm. And people like to think that this is just going to go on infinitely. And it's like, well, it's not, you know, a few more billion years and the sun's going to fucking burn out guys. I I, I hate to tell you that the rock is still going to be here. Like it's, it might be a a dead rock and there might be a dead sun, but ultimately we still have a lot of challenges as a, just a human species that we have to define and then solve, not who we want to fuck. Like, it's just a fucking sideshow distraction to what we actually need to be focused on. And my opinion that, you know, who am I? I'm just a fucking knuckle dragger, man. I mean, you know, at the the end of the day, I'm not trying to devalue it. It's like, when you see these conversations, you just kind of have to tune out and go, I can affect this much space, right? Like I have my, my fucking arms length right here. We got a couple mics. Hopefully we can make some type of positive impact. Uh. And the the rest of this kind of white noise out there is just like that's what it is. Why is it gonna be white? Oh, true. That's good. What yellow noise, man? Yellow noise. We're making a lot of noise lately. Shit. Well, Mike, dude, thank you, man. I'm I'm really uh, one. I'm super happy that you're here because I love hanging out with you. Uh, Two. I'm super stoked for what's happening next year for your business. It's gonna be awesome. Where can where can people find you? Check you out. So the big things are philcraftsurvival.locals.com because we migrated there because of censorship and banning. So right. a lot of our content is on there. philcraftsurvival.com is our website and it's Googleable. Right. That's all our channels. It's um, um, where Philcraft Frontier will stand up at the beginning of first quarter, um, but you can find all of our stuff there. Fucking A. Go check out Mike and Philcraft Survival. Uh, this is Free Range American. Thanks, man. Thank you.